I'll be reading to you from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Please be seated. Well, <clears throat> I think, uh, Scott, I think you did it again uh, this morning. Uh, he is selecting songs. We're actually singing the sermon. We're singing the lesson. Uh, don't get excited. We're still going to have the lesson, all right? But I, I think that is so encouraging and helpful. When we can, when we can sing together about the things that we are going to study together and then hope hopefully we can live together in a way that will in, in, encourage us to practice the things that God wants us to do we're in a battle we said last week that there are people that are that are in great danger they don't know that they're in danger they, they can't see the war so they don't they don't think there is a war they haven't armed themselves because they don't see the threat they don't feel it in the two main thoughts last week, we, we wanted you to go away understanding that there, there is a battle. The battle is real. And victory is possible. And it's right there in that passage in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13 that we are able to withstand uh, in the evil day. It, it is possible. We can resist. We, we don't have to lose the war. One of the things we said last week, many of us are losing spiritual battles and it's not for a lack of effort. We're sincere and sometimes we are, we are fighting with, with all of our might. What we said is that that's the problem. That's, that's exactly why we, we keep losing. We're fighting an adversary with all of our might instead of depending on the strength of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 tells us to be strong in the power of His might. And as we were just singing a moment ago, and, and the idea of that is we finished last Sunday morning's lesson, and we're looking at David going out, uh, he's going to fight Goliath. I understand that's a physical confrontation, but his attitude in that physical confrontation should be our attitude in our spiritual battle it is this, the battle belongs to to the Lord. If you belong to the Lord, you're on the winning team. Victory is in Jesus. And so we talked about all of those things last week. If you have an outline, you'll notice that there are some questions there. There's some things that we need to know and some things that we need to do. We need to identify the enemy. We need to understand how he works. We need to arm ourselves for battle. We're looking at uh, these questions, who is the enemy, how does he work, 
What can we do to protect ourselves? And, and so, you know, that's really our game plan for the next three lessons. We want to know, number one, who is the enemy? That's our question this morning. Next Sunday morning, I want to talk about how he works. But we want to do a scouting report of the adversary. What are, what are his strengths? What is his game plan? What, what, are, what are, you know, the techniques or the tactics that he uses so successfully? When we understand that, then we can do a better job of arming ourselves and defending ourselves well i I think we all understand that our real enemy the the real adversary is the devil that's who we're fighting against and if you'll just keep your bible open we're going to start here in ephesians chapter 6 we will kind of roam a little bit to to define or explain some of what we're reading but but we find our enemy right here in verse 11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so that verse not only identifies our adversary as the devil, it warns us. We've got to stand. We were just singing, here in the love of Christ I stand. One of the things you need to recognize about the love of Christ, it doesn't just redeem uh, redeem your past. Here you are, you've done all these things in the past. You're, you're so ashamed, so broken, so helpless. And, and here in the love of Christ I stand. He's redeemed my past. But, but He's also given us strength for the battles that we're facing in the future. But because of the love of Christ and the power of God at work in our lives, we can stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't have to keep falling interesting there's a greek word there for schemes i'm gonna i'm gonna pronounce it the way it sounds to me y'all can look it up later methodia i don't know if that's how the greeks would say it uh but you know what you see in that word it was so interesting when i saw it you see a you see an english word in that greek word you see the word method there's a methodology he has, he has schematics. He has a plan. He, he has a lot of different methods that he uses to attack people. We're, we're going to talk about a lot of those next Sunday morning. But this morning, I want you to see one of the most common, one of the most effective tactics that the devil uses. This is a scheme that he has used so effectively. We're going we're gonna to see, first of all, what it is, and, and then we're going to spent a little time looking at a a few examples of how he's used it in the past. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, Don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is of the world. And as we consider what John said about these three things, I want want to... I want you to see that these things are not of the Father. Satan is using these things, the the things of the world, to trick us into rebelling, into sinning against God and rebelling against God. A three-fold line of attack. Lust of, the flesh, uh, lust of the flesh, the appetites of the body. 
Lust of the eye includes the desires to obtain or possess. Pride of life, ego-driven desire to achieve or succeed. As you you think about some of the lusts of the flesh, and I want to say that some of the appetites of the body are natural. That they are God-given, and there's nothing innately sinful about the appetites of the body or the desire to obtain or to achieve, but but Satan uses these things against us in two ways. One, by, by tempting us to make them the top priority in our lives, making them more important than anything else. Or by tricking us into fulfilling some of these desires in an unnatural way. So, well, this is a natural desire, but you're seeking to fulfill that desire outside of God's will. We know that in the very beginning, that he used this approach very successfully in the Garden of Eden as he is tempting Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, Eve saw that the that, that forbidden fruit was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. It was a delight to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. It was desirable to make one wise. We're told, she's told, you know, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like God. That's pride of life. But we know how that encounter ended. She took the fruit, she ate it, she gave it to her husband who was with her, he ate it. Sin comes into the world and because sin came into the world, death came into the world through sin. It's the devil's first big victory. It was not the last time he used this scheme. It's not the last time he approached man on the battlefield of life and won won a great victory. There's another example where he used it in Matthew chapter 4, but it didn't succeed. When Jesus is led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, he he uses that same template, that, that, that same pattern of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. When, when he says, turn these stones into bread, that's an appeal to the lust of the flesh. The offer to give him the kingdoms of the world is an appeal to the lust of the eyes. He took him up on a mountain. He said, look at it. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. Look at it. I'll give it all to you. The challenge to cast himself down from the pinnacle of the temple is a challenge really to say, prove that you have this unique, this special bond or relationship you know, with God, that you, that you are under special care. That's an appeal to the boastful pride of life. As you can see, the attack is the same. The outcome is different. Uh, here's the point. That, that line of attack may be familiar. There may be people sitting here this morning going, how many times have I heard this? You start over here with this passage, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, you know, boastful pride of life. You go to the garden, you go to Jesus. How many times have I heard it? Folks, that's not the point. You've heard it all these times. You think because you know it, somehow you're safe? While Jesus thankfully tempted in all ways, yet without sin, many of us tempted in exactly this way, sin. 
You say, well, this is so outdated. This is so old. Listen, old tactics can still be effective, and you can, you can really break it down. Sex, money, and pride. There are people who are going to go to hell. There are going to be people that are lost eternally because the devil confronted them on the battlefield of life in one of these three areas and they felt secure, but they weren't secure. You say, Tim, how old is it? It's as old as time. How many, how many stories in the Bible do we have of people who should have known better, but they did not arm themselves? And when the opportunity came to sin sexually, they sinned. They lost the battle. When they had to make a, a choice, God or money, they sinned. They chose money. They forsook God. How many people do not listen to the warning, pride goes before destruction? A haughty spirit before the fall. Don't, don't, don't be lulled into a sense of security just because you've heard this. Before Tim, I've heard this lesson. I could have preached that that first point all by myself. Are you taking warning? We're going somewhere this morning that is so disturbing to me. Would you just take the time? If you're on a row with an infant. Precious, innocent in every way. Weren't we all there at one point in our own lives? Untouched. Unmarked by the ugliness of this world. But there's an adversary who wants to destroy that innocence. Who wants to take away that purity. I'm I'm trying to think of a way. How can we we somehow break through our complacency? To to understand the people in the world that we we look at and say, "How how could that wicked man do such awful things? That wicked man used to be a little innocent baby. We're in a battle for thoughts and minds and hearts. We're waging a great warfare against a very vicious, a ruthless enemy. I think there would be very few people that that ever lived that, that would ever think of hurting a child. But I think we've got an adversary that delights in that. In 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, he, he doesn't, God doesn't want us to be ignorant. We have this adversary, and he doesn't want us to be ignorant of his, of his schemes. He wants us to understand how the devil works. The, the, the idea is if, if we know how he's going to approach us to, to hurt us, we can protect ourselves. 
Our adversary, uh, our adversary is a, a spiritual being. Would you bring up verse 12 for me? I've got a, I've got a paraphrase, but let me just read it. Our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Do you understand that there, there may be people who are hurting you, but they are not the enemy. So somebody came up with this idea, you know, uh, hurting, hurting people hurt people because they're hurting. And sometimes we, we look at somebody that, that's hurting us and, we, and we, we think that guy's the enemy. That's not the enemy. That person has been victimized by the enemy. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. The, these people around you that are a hardship to your life, who are an inconvenience to you in some ways, that they do hurt you. They're not the real enemy. We're fighting against rulers and against authorities and against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're not fighting against other people. Our battle is against spiritual powers and we're wasting our time fighting people when we need to be fighting the devil who seeks to control people, to deceive people into opposing the work that God is doing in the world. This this battle is, is so different. We're fighting an adversary that all all of the physical weapons of warfare, none of that works with him. I'm trying to remember the little deal. Uh, The devil is a sly old fox. If I could catch him, I'd put him in a box. I'd, I'd put him in a box and throw away the key for all the tricks he's played on me. You can't catch him. You can't lock him up. You can't stab him with a knife. You can't shoot him with a gun. You you can't fight this war the way you fight a physical enemy. Our battle is against demonic forces whose weapons include lies, false doctrine, counterfeit religions, false philosophies, clever perversions of the truth. ideology, the, the, way, the way people think. This, this whole idea, and, and it's not new, I mean, it's, it's in the Old Testament, how, how, how people are going to replace evil for good and good for evil. How insidious is that? How, how sneaky and underhanded is that? When, when you do something wrong and the world celebrates you for doing wrong and you stand with God, and you say, no, that's wrong, and the world hates you, and they say it is wrong for you to say that anything is wrong. It's not right to think you're right. How upside down and inside out and confusing is that? And I think the devil just laughs at us. He just sits back and enjoys the mess he's made of the world. People are so blinded. They don't even think that there is truth. 
Or they think they've cornered the market on truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. My truth, your truth, our truth. Folks, God has given us the truth. Folks can't see it. kind of intimidating when you think about fighting an enemy that you can't really see let me tell you something about the devil he is not on equal footing with god it's not like well they're they're both they're both gods one's a good god and one's a bad god one, one is light one is darkness one is One is righteous, one is wicked. Satan is not God. He is a created being. He is not divine. He does not have the attributes, the qualities, or the capabilities of God. He doesn't. He is limited in his knowledge and in his activity. He is not omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent. He is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. He is not ever present. What we talk about, where could I go from the Lord? I, I mean, if I go to the heights, He's there. If I go to the depths, He's there. No matter where I go, God is there. The devil can't pull that off. God knows the thoughts of a man's heart. I don't believe the adversary knows everything about me. I don't think he knows everything about you. He is not omniscient. He's not all-powerful. You go read the book of Job, and Satan is not allowed to go beyond the limits set by God. And when God says, you, you can go this far, but you can't go beyond that point, the devil is limited by the power of God. Having said that, I still think we have to understand that he's strong. I mean, just the wording in the text that that we're to put on the whole armor of God. Listen, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? Well, because you got this adversary, kind of a weak little thing out there. No. I mean, that's not what that's saying. You better put on the armor. You better be strong in the power of God's might. Why? Your adversary's dangerous. I think that should tell us all we need to know about the strength of our enemy. He he's compared in one passage to a lion, in another passage he's compared to a dragon. God doesn't say that stuff just for fun. We have an enemy that has tremendous power. While there are obvious limits to his power, it would be a fatal mistake to underestimate the strength of our enemy. And I think one of the reasons he is so mighty, and and we may not always think in these terms, but one of the reasons that our enemy is so strong is that he's not alone. Ephesians 6 and verse 12, we looked at a moment ago, You'll notice that there are rulers and authorities and powers and 
spiritual force. So, somebody seems to think that these, even though Paul, Paul does not go into detail and tell us, you know, what each one of these things represents. Who are the rulers? Who are the authorities? Who are the powers? Who are the forces? Who are, there's an idea amongst a lot of people who study these things that there's a, there's a, a hierarchy. And what we're looking at here uh, suggests various levels of power and authority. And while Paul, again, doesn't explain every detail of demonic hierarchy, he gives us some idea uh, of its sophistication, of its power. Satan's forces are highly organized and structured. We don't know how many of them exist. But it seems like the devil has a host of partners who are working for him and and with him to hurt God's people. It's not just foolish, it's dangerous to mock an enemy like this. He's a man in a red suit, he has horns on his head, he, he carries a pitchfork. Our adversary is not a clown. Now, I believe he'd, he'd be happy for you to laugh at him if you laugh your way all the way into hell. This subject that we're talking about, this adversary is real. He's not, he's not a concept that just represents all the evil that's in the world. He's not a fictional character. He's a spiritual being who operates in a spiritual realm. In John 10 and verse 10, if you'll bring that up, I've always appreciated that passage because Jesus Jesus will put side by side, here's what I want to do, here's my plan for you, here's his plan for you. And he puts it out there in ways that we can just compare. Which one do you want? Who do you want to follow? The the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. You see, that's why the devil's got to be so deceitful. That's why he's a schemer. That's why he's so underhanded. Because when you look at it that way, we we all go, "I I don't want to have anything to do with the devil. He wants to hurt me. He's out to hurt me. I want to follow Jesus. Jesus wants to, he wants to help me. He wants to give me a life that is really life. He wants to give me life that is an abundant life. He wants me to experience eternal life. I want to follow Jesus. I mean, I think that's what we call a no-brainer, right? Then why are there so many people on a broad path that leads to destruction? And so few people on the narrow path that leads to life? I mean, you'd have, to, you'd have to be everything the devil is described as being to pull that off. You'd have to be a liar and the father of lies who when you lie, you're speaking your native language. You'd have to be the best deceiver the world has ever seen. To get people to follow you to their death. When the Son of God is 
at the very same time inviting people to follow him to life. He calls him a thief. The Greek word there, kleptes. Can you hear kleptomaniac in that? You know what's interesting about this thief? I, I think we've all, we've all heard stories about people that s- steal. They rob from other people, but they don't hurt them. And then we read stories that, yeah, they, they, they robbed this, this guy, but, I mean, they, they beat him up and they killed him. It wasn't enough to steal from him. You know, you've got to hurt him too. This enemy does not just want to take from you. He wants to hurt you. Think about a wrecking ball and just, could you not just for a moment think about either your own life or somebody else that, that you know made, made, made a critical mistake, made a choice that changed the direction of their life, and that one, that one decision was like a wrecking ball. It just shattered everything. The the enemy that we're talking about is behind that. He's the one that instigates that kind of thing. He's the architect of, of those kinds of destructive choices. You know, I'm, I'm up here and, I, and I'm thinking that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a tendency for people sometimes to think, he's kind of pulling our leg a little bit this morning. I mean, there's no, listen, I can't even begin to tell you how serious I am about this. And how much it disturbs me that this adversary is so good at what he's doing that some of you can't even hear. You, you, you've, be, you've become dismissive. Oh, there's no way. This is, I mean, you know, everybody just kind of lives their lives and some people make mistakes. No, there's an adversary that wants to crush you. And he delights in it. Because the only way that he can hurt God is to hurt the people who are created in the image of God. And the battle really isn't, isn't with regard to us in, in the first place. The battle is with God. And the way to hurt the father is to hurt his children. Well, well listen, I'm going to skip some stuff, but, but I'm, I'm going to l- listen to this. and we'll, we'll end with this. This is the kind of enemy that we're up against. Whatever corrupts a man, whatever hurts a man, whatever is evil, whatever is dark, whatever is bitter, whatever is cruel, whatever is, uh, you know, uh, that's uh, the devil. He's behind the ugliest things that happen in this world. You turn on the news and you, you read about these mass shootings that, that even affect school children. You, you read about violent acts of terrorism. You read about sexual abuse of women and children. The ongoing struggle of, of racism and, and hatred. War and violence. 
pornography, prostitution, perversion, greed, depravity, drunkenness, every other evil you can even imagine. The devil has never blessed one life. Nobody has ever believed one of his lies and, and lived to say, you know what, I like the way that turned out. He has never encouraged one soul. He leads people down a path to utter despair. If we understand what the Bible is saying as it describes him as a predator who is on the prowl seeking whom he might devour, that should get our attention. This last thought here, it's at the bottom of your outline as well. Would you bring would you bring yeah, that's it right there. Some of this some of this is off the cuff, some of this is just from the heart, I understand when we enter into a relationship of, with Jesus Christ, we become, we become sons in God's family. That's a tremendous blessing. We, we become servants in God's house or in God's church. What a, what a privilege. And I think we do a good job talking about those things, but... But, but something else happens too. We're not just sons and servants. We are, we are soldiers. And as soldiers, it is, it is our job to, to fight the enemy. And, and I want to say something. Here's what's on my heart this morning. There isn't a person who walked in here this morning that isn't fighting some battle of some kind. And your battle may be different. It may not be the same battle that I'm talking about. When we talk about the lust of the eye or the lust of the flesh or the boastful pride of life, He doesn't come at you the way He comes at me. And some of you aren't fighting with immorality. Some of you are fighting with materialism. And others are fighting with arrogance or pride. But everybody who walked in here this morning is fighting something. And can I tell you how silly it would be for us to fight each other. We're not fighting each other. I'm fighting for you and with you. And the whole church at that point should rise up and say, Amen. You're not the enemy. The enemy's the one who's doing this nasty work in your life that is sometimes so crushing and so defeating and so overwhelming. Somehow we've got to reframe the public relations message that, that when you're hurting, the last place you want to go is to the church. When you're hurting, the best place for you to be is in God's church. Because folks, we're not out to get you. We're fighting against the one who's hurting you. Our battle's not with you. We've got to find a way to try to have a better understanding of what's going on in other people's lives. We've got to have more transparency in our own lives so that when we're in trouble, we can get the help we need. There are people walked into this building this morning that are losing. You know it. You're losing a battle and you can't get help. 
because you're too ashamed to tell anybody that you're even in that battle. We are sons, and we are servants, and we are soldiers. And we're on the same team. We're fighting for the same victory. Somehow we've got to, we've got to band together as Christians. And I don't just mean here at North MacArthur. I, I mean throughout the world. We, we, we could be a mighty force for good if we really sought to be what God wants us to be. We should be one in Christ for each other. I understand that there will always be people on a Sunday morning like this who need to come and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. We, we always want to invite that. If there's somebody like that this morning, we want you to come. But, but there's, there's something else that I'm after this morning. Things, things happen in our, in our lives that, that bring us to an awareness that there are people around us that are, that are hurting and they are in despair. And we sometimes are so self-absorbed in our own struggles that we don't recognize what's happening with every, everyone else. And some of, those people, some of those people give up. We owe it to each other. And I think we owe it to God that if we are strong, we ought to fight for the weak. We don't fight the weak. We fight for them. And if you feel weakness in your life, I, I want to tell you that those of us who are strong in, in the Lord and in, in the power of His might, We'll fight with you. And we'll fight for you. Because our God thinks you're worth it. If you want to come to Him this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.